Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production from Mar Addiction Treatment Centers. I'm Matt Shedd. Caitlin Byrne is the lead family counselor at our Men's Recovery Center. Her job is to work specifically with the family members of our clients to help them recognize how they've been affected by their loved one's addiction and to begin the healing process. In this conversation, Caitlin explains what makes addiction a family disease, and she also goes over the basics of family recovery. She also tells us about a new group that she's starting at Mar, open to the general public, where family members that are interested in beginning their own recovery journey can come and learn about it and start that process. Here's Caitlin. So you're a family therapist yeah. at an addiction treatment center. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I mean, and what do fam- why do family members mm-hmm. need therapists? And what is the family therapist's job as opposed to, say, like a counselor at the addiction treatment center who's working with the clients? Sure. So at MAR, we believe that this is a family disease, and we let the families know that on the first day that they come in, they do an intake with us as their family counselor while the, you know, while their client or while their loved one, our client, is going through the admission process for them. We take time to sit with the family to share with them. You know, we do believe that this is a family disease, not that not that every member of the family is using or has even struggled with an addiction, but because there is a member of your family who you love and you care for that is experiencing this disease, you've been impacted as well. You know, and again, it goes back to that full wellness of a person. You Mm -hmm. know, I share with them, you've been impacted relationally, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, you know, all these aspects of, of what make you who you are, you've been impacted because the chaos of this disease has has been a part of your family system. So help them to kind of see that they are, um, they deserve support too. They deserve recovery as well. Um, you know, a lot of times families will, will think, well, we're just doing the best we can to get our loved one in here. They're the one who needs the help. And it's really exciting to get to let them know as like, I'm primarily here to support you that you need recovery, you know, and they're like, well, how many times do you get to meet with our loved one? And I'm like, I will, and I'll be in groups with them. But my primary focus is you and your healing and you getting the support and connection you need um, to understand whether that's through education platforms or um, helping them find Al-Anon groups or other support groups, or they can even do weekly therapy with us as their family counselors. Um, you know, we want to provide all that for them because if at the end of 90 days or the end of their, t- their loved one's time here in treatment, if the system, which refers to the family unit, hasn't had any therapy or growth, there's going to be a lot of shock mm-hmm. coming out of treatment, you know, of your, your loved one being in here for 90 days. And then they've learned some things about themselves, hopefully have some new tools, are sober maybe for the first time in a long time. And, and they're going to start acting differently and talking a little, a little bit differently. They're going to have some different um, priorities, you know, hopefully coming out of MAR that, you know, knowing how to put their recovery first. So, which can be a shock to the family. Your loved one isn't just coming away to get better themselves. Your whole family system deserves some time to heal. Um, I will say too, you know, in the first week I try to meet with our with our clients who I'm going to be working with their families. I try to meet with them within the first week to let them know, here's my job here, here's my role. And I will say that a lot of our clients find a lot of relief knowing, okay, there's someone who's going to be 
helping my family through this as well, that it's not going to be on them to like explain everything that's happening or, you know, have to have to keep them engaged in mm-hmm. that way, you know. Um, so it's relieving to our clients too to know that they, their families have um, therapists. Now, yeah. They don't always stay there. Right, <laughs> they, right. They sometimes want information back too. And I'm yeah. like, my role is to support your family, not to pass information to you. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes they want that too, but yeah. trying to hold those boundaries. So the family has a safe place to really express what they're going through as well and the emotional toll of this, of the chaos that this disease can cause in a family. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I tell me if this sounds right, but what kind of what I'm hearing is that like, it's kind of like a, you, you kind of lay the groundwork um, or what Mar tries to do is that like lay the groundwork. Yes. Your loved one has a recovery journey that we're going to invite them to go on. Mm-hmm. However, you also have your own journey mm-hmm. that's going to look different yes. and be separate from theirs. Yeah. And obviously it's informed and they informed by the journey they're on and, and it's going to affect you and, and all that, but it's a, it, but it is a distinct path that mm-hmm. you you're going to we're going to invite you to come down of um dealing with the pain and the trauma that that you've been through. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I explained to our families is that you're on a parallel journey. Like you're continuing to move forward and your paces might be different and you know your recoveries are not necessarily going to intersect and become the same as your loved ones, but it is this parallel journey. Um, and explaining to them the gift that recovery can be to the family member, you know, that there are a lot of, while your loved one may choose to do AA and have, and have their support group, you know, there's Al-Anon or families, um, or Celebrate Recovery or Families Anonymous or different groups, even for families to have their support groups and, um, or therapy or different things to kind of parallel each other's journeys. Mm -hmm. Cause, um, yeah, cause there, there is an importance of, of the family continuing to journey forward too, not just like stopping, um, you know, and just saying, well, we'll put everything on pause for 90 days until they're better. And, um, and then, and then we'll pick up our family right where we were, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't necessarily always work. Yeah. <laughs> so helping them to kind of see that. And then I, I try to help a lot of my families to see like, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do to support you is so that you can be in a good mental, emotional, healthy, okay spot even if your loved one doesn't get to that okay spot, you know, um, or it takes them their own amount of time or, you know, that, that you can still live like a full life and not allow the power of this addiction to, to take over and be the forefront of everything. Um, cause it, it usually has become that by the time they get to us here at Mar, like it's become the focus of the family, you know, of how do we get this person help and better. And, you know, so we want to kind of remind them like you, you can take care of yourself. You can not feel guilty about doing something for you and, you know, going to therapy for you. And, you know, sometimes families struggle to know like, oh, but it's their story. Like it's theirs. I can't talk about it. Um, And we just kind of try to help them provide the place of how they can talk about their experience. Sure. Not just talking about their loved one, you're right, that is their story and that they need to be honest and have the integrity when they're ready to share that with who they choose to share their story with. But, you know, as a family member, you still have your experience and and how do you share your personal um, journey at this time with 
with where your family's at and that kind of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. that helps to break the stigma too. A lot mm-hmm. coming back to that. Stigma. What, what does sharing it with other people? Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many families I've had who come and they're like, I'm the only one in my, in my church group or my, you know, in my walking group or, you know, nobody else deals with this. But the minute they open up to one person, everybody knows somebody who has struggled with an addiction. It seems like, even if it's not in their immediate family, it's like, oh yeah, my cousin or my nephew or my friend, or, you know, people connect on that. Actually, it's not this barrier or this, Ooh, you're an other. I could see how a family member might think they're the only person in the world who checks their mm. spouse's uh, voicemail or text Bank messages. Yeah, or right. Follows yeah. their GPS or right, mm-hmm. and like think I'm totally crazy. No one else does this, and yeah. then they that and they find out. Oh, that's those are common behavior. Just like drinking before you go to work in the morning is something people are ashamed of, but a lot of people do it. Uh, there's these other behaviors too that. Maybe I don't, they're not in line with my values, but there's some hope of setting those aside and trying something different. Yeah, absolutely. So much is in the beginning is helping, you know, a lot of what we do with our clients is helping them to see kind of some of their behaviors that go along with their use. Mm -hmm. Um, But that even as they're sober, show up at treatment, right? And like, and a lot of that's with families as well. You know, they'll notice... I've become an angrier person or I started to lie to cover up for them, you know, and, um, and they might start feeling crazy. Like, yeah. have I just, has my tolerance gone so low with their behaviors, you know, or, um, is this not what a normal family experiences, you know? So helping them kind of to see the way that, yeah, their values have been, um, their values have been changed through living this experience as well. Mm. Um, and again, reminding them you're not, you're not crazy. Like this yeah. is the chaos that surrounds you, you know, mm-hmm. and the minute you kind of get to, to pause and allow your loved one to be here, you know, um, we can start allowing that chaos to calm and kind of sift through that together in therapy. But even so in the beginning, you know, a lot of times families still, um, like that, that chaos still feels like it has to keep going. You know, you're talking about that codependency and, you know, I'll have family members call often to just want to check in on them and know what's going on here. And Mm -hmm. like, I can't be okay if they're not okay. And I need to know that they're okay. Or what do they need from me? Cause it's really abrupt when, uh, you know, your, um, your loved one was relying on you for everything. Maybe they were living with you and you were making sure they got up for work. You were making sure to, clean their laundry. You were making sure to buy food for them. And then all of a sudden they're gone and you're not needed the same way. That can be really abrupt, Mm -hmm. even though you thought, oh, I'll feel relieved as a family member. Like once I don't have to take care of all this anymore, but sometimes that can actually be really painful and enlightening for a family member to realize like, oh, I was perpetuating that. I was enabling these behaviors, but I also was getting my own need met of, feeling needed and wanted. And that's what, as a family therapist, I'm like, let's look at that. And how can we channel that? Or how can we help to heal that? So, so you don't fall back into your enabling behaviors, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. Um, that awareness, sometimes you don't have, you won't have that until it's abruptly kind of taken from you Yeah, to realize like, Oh, I didn't realize I was doing all of that for them and paying their bills and all those things. What are some signs 
um, that people can look for of that I am, so if, if, mm. if it's a disease, there must be some symptoms of the disease, right? Sure. So what are some symptoms? And we, we touched on a few, like checking the bank account. Yeah. Or like yeah. What, so as a family member, what yeah, are some of the symptoms exactly. they're experiencing? Yeah. Oh yeah. So definitely, I mean, and definitely a lot of worry, um, a lot of checking in on them if they're in the home, like you're walking down, you can't sleep if they haven't made it home yet. You're tracking their phone. Um, again, if you're lying or covering up for them, if you're creating stories in your mind of like where their money must be going to, or, you know, or you're tracking to make sure they go to their AA meetings because maybe they've promised that they're going to be going to their AA meetings. Um, yeah. If you're picking up things that they haven't asked you to do for them, you know, like most of, I mean, the clients that we work with are adults, you know, and so, you know, what are the normal responsibilities for an adult? And are you just kind of taking those on instead of allowing them, you know, the dignity and autonomy of being responsible for these things that, that they've done? Have you called into work for them? Have you, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, some of the other things that I hear families talk about a lot is a lot of like sleepless nights, a lot of buying another car for them after they've gotten a DUI or like legal issues, mm -hmm. um, multiple times. Um, but yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest thing for families, um, to pay attention to when the disease has really infiltrated a lot of like who you are as a person is, um, is you seeing yourself isolating and pulling away and mm -hmm. not being able to be with your friends anymore or go out in public or talk on the phone. Um, because one, you just don't want to let people know what's going on and you don't know how to talk about other things. Mm. Um, if you, yeah, I've just avoided certain crowds and, you know, are finding yourself isolating more and more. Um, I think, I think that's one of the biggest things that I see with family members that they, they don't even realize that they've done that. But when I start kind of saying like, who else is your support group? Like who else do you have, um, you know, outside of your immediate family to kind of walk with you through this and, their eyes are like, oh, there's, there isn't anyone mm -hmm. anymore. And wow. some of that may just be like, okay, trusting. And, you know, it yeah. is a, it is a big risk to let people into this part, you know, but um, I think that's one of the biggest ways because that I see when families are pretty deep, deeply entrenched in the, in the disease is through their own isolation, mm -hmm. because there is a lot, you do not have to wait for your loved one to get to treatment before you are welcome in an Al-Anon group, before you're welcome in, you know, a family in recovery group or a support group of any kind or therapy, walk into a therapist's office. You yeah. know, you don't have to wait for your loved one to have all those things. Um, you know, so I think the isolation is probably one of the biggest red flags, warning signs of, and when you recognize that, it can be, you know, when we're like, what are the next steps that we can take? We've set all the boundaries. We've threatened all the things. We've done all the mm -hmm. ultimatums. The only thing you can control is you at the end of the day. So you doing something different, like showing up to an Al-Anon group or making that therapy appointment or telling a friend that can be supportive of you, that's the next step you can take. If all the boundaries and ultimatums and threats and if those haven't worked, you know, start taking care of you. Yeah. You know, and when you start making changes, they may have effects on your loved one sure. and the decisions they'll choose to make. So, and and then, so now this is a good place to transition to, to, to talking about the new offering that we have mm -hmm. that you're, um, that you're heading up of the, the group. Mm -hmm. 
So tell us a little bit about that just in general. What is the group? Who is it open to and what's kind of the purpose of it? Yeah. So I was hearing from a lot of families who were brand new to recovery language, to treatment language, to therapy, um, just feeling kind of overwhelmed when they would walk into groups that had been established for a while, Mm -hmm. you know, into into whether that's an Al-Anon or a group at church or you know, that they um, were feeling a little overwhelmed and they needed some new, like, basic, you know, early treatment kind of stuff. So I just really felt strongly about starting a group for those people, you know, of you're early in recovery, maybe your loved one is currently in treatment, and that's just a whole new concept to you. Um, And you're just looking for connection and understanding and um, a place to be in your own therapy. Um, and so, yeah, I've started a group, uh, for, I call it early recovery, but that can mean a lot of different things to different people. You know, even here we talk about early recovery being at least the first year, if not more, you know, so, um, you know, I've started sharing the group with, uh, with our families who bring loved ones here into treatment, but have let them know, like, please invite your friends, please, you know, encourage other people who, you know, also have loved ones in addiction, um, or in treatment for their addiction to come. Uh, and it is, it's just a support group for family members, 18 and up, um, to come find a place where you can talk through your challenges and your successes of recovery, um, and how, as a family member Mm -hmm. and how you're living recovery and, um, some topics that come up a lot for families, you know, around boundaries or codependency or enabling, or what, how am I okay if they're not okay? And what do I do in they have their aftercare program, aftercare program. What do I do for myself? You know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not a group to come and focus on their loved one and talk all about them, but, but for the family to have a place to talk about themselves and what it's like to experience this as, as a dad or a wife or Mm -hmm. a child of an addict or, you know, or an aunt or a friend, you know, that, um, that, you know, all are welcome into that place to, to share and connect and to not have to feel alone again, to break them out of that isolation. Um, you know, which can be one of the biggest things that drags us back into our addictive behaviors, you know, into our relapses, as we call them for our families, you know, that lead us back into, um, our behaviors as family members that, aren't helpful for us, you know, or our loved one ultimately, like they're also not helpful to them, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a place to just come. I, and, and I hope to, you know, group therapy is so, is so valuable. You know, I think again, like I said in the beginning, I love my individual therapist. I love individual therapy, but there is so much value in group therapy and and entering in as a larger, a larger group. Cause you know, maybe at that day you're just not feeling it and you get to come into a group and you can just listen and absorb and connect through, you know, hearing other people's stories and that's empowering for you. And that gives you something to work on or look forward to, but then maybe you're the person who comes in and you do have a topic that day that you want to process and, and how that can be helpful to other people, other family members and, and getting that feeling of, um, of joy, I think from being able to be helpful, you know, ultimately a lot of our families, they just want to help. And so some of their helping behavior and their overly loving behavior ended up not being helpful to their loved one, but it can be helpful to other family members. Um, not necessarily, and, and it's cool, you know, not in a, in a group, we're not 
there to like share advice. You know, it's not, well, here's how I would solve that problem. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. more here. I had a similar experience and I just want to share my experience with you. And then whatever you gleam from that to be helpful or not, that's, that's your choice as a member of that group. Mm-hmm. You know, you may take some nuggets and leave others, you know, um, but we just don't even realize how impactful our stories can be until we start sharing them with other people. And so having like a safe contained spot to be able to do that and interact with other family members who are experiencing the same, you know, the same disease, recognizing you're not alone, um, is really empowering and healing. Like there's this healing power in a group that's just so, so amazing. Um, and you don't even often know what's happening. Sure. Um, and then you just walk away feeling lighter or you remember something a week later that someone said in group and you can put that into action for you. So yeah, it's really, it's a cool setting. So I'm excited to get to provide that for, for some families who, um, who need that, who Mm -hmm. want that, who, um, yeah. And it's not necessarily going to be like a huge commitment. Like it's a group that, um, I feel strongly can be like a come and go, but like once they find a place where they feel, you know, safe and heard, um, they'll want to stay and they'll want to keep coming back. So, yeah. And we do live in such like an independent society where like, let me just Google that. Yeah. Like, let me just Google and find my answers or let me find the Facebook group online that, you know, people on the, on their feeds are just sharing their thoughts. And that stuff is really helpful. You know, it can be really helpful. It can also just be rabbit holes that we get lost in. But there's something, you know, especially with the disease of addiction, you know, here at MAR, our our clients partake in a lot of group therapy um, because we know like a remedy for this is connection, right? Is making those relationships, is finding a connection to another person. Um, And I think families need that too. They need a space in person. And we had a couple of these groups back in the fall and, you know, when they came in person, and that's that's the first thing that said that made them walk through the door is like they just needed to be with other people mm-hmm. who have experienced this. And, you know, I mean, that could definitely be because COVID has, you know, separated yeah. a lot of things, too. And we're all just looking for that kind of connection. But um, but yeah, just that just that group feeling of. Yeah, interacting with other human beings, it's needed to process those, those things. Um, and not just intake, Mm -hmm. you know, not just intake more information and Google more information and just have it all come out and, or be just receptive. It's good for us to be able to process externally as well. And, you know, um, and to share what we've learned and things. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a deeper kind of learning takes place Mm -hmm. on that level where Mm -hmm. you're, where you're taking emotional risk. Yeah. Even if you're just showing up and not saying anything. Yep you learn on a deeper level than you do reading an article on yeah. your phone or it's real it's tangible yeah. it's willingness to mm-hmm. walk into a room take a risk and be nervous and mm-hmm. yeah it's it, it is it's human vulnerability and it's it's really powerful that and it can be such a healing a healing agent when you're in you know a place where you know you can um trust and feel safe and what a, what amazingly allows that to happen in this kind of early recovery group is that you know you're in there because you have the common connection of you love someone who suffers from this disease mm. and that being what unites you all. But then, and and that just being a foundation of like why we can all be in the room together, but then it just grows so much from there and ends up being, um, yeah, a lot more even personal. Sometimes it doesn't even end up being about addiction at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. it can just be 
I'm actually struggling with this thing way out in left field yeah, that right. I want to bring into group today and process with people that I feel safe and can trust. Yes. And absolutely. this can be contained here. Absolutely. Yeah. And so who is this open to? Yeah. So it's open to anyone 18 and up um, that uh, either has a loved one currently in treatment or they would consider themselves being in early recovery as a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that may be you're listening to this podcast and your loved one is still in active addiction, but you're like, oh, I can have recovery. I don't have to wait for my loved one. Um, you're welcome to come to the group. You know, if if you recognize you need recovery, um, and have a loved one like who qualifies you as you know someone yeah. who's who's in addiction. So, um, so yeah, friends, family, extended family, you know, bring your neighbor. Yeah, you know, it, it's sometimes easier to walk in as as a part with a with a partner. So sure. I'm okay with that too. Yeah, you know, yeah. so yeah, anyone who considers themselves in early recovery. Um, whether their loved ones here in treatment at Mar or um, or is trying or is in treatment at another facility or isn't even in treatment yet, um, you know, but you consider yourself a, a family member who is in early recovery. You're welcome. What's it like for family members when the loved one come is done with treatment? And mm-hmm. like I know that that can be surprisingly maybe for some people that can be a difficult time too. Yes. And can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think we we like to let our families know that um, when they come out of treatment, it is it is literally just the beginning, um, and that they are going to have to learn new ways to communicate and talk and share, um, and that and that some of those old behaviors will start popping up again. Of like, oh, I need to know where they are at all times, and I need to know because building trust again is going to take a lot of time on both sides for the client as well as for you know their families. Um, rebuilding trust and knowing how to interact again. Um, and so you're just getting to start practicing those things. And I think, you know, we talk a lot to our, our clients at Mar, you know, to offer themselves some grace, like your failures are sometimes your biggest strengths in recovery. And that's the same for the family. Like you might fail in yeah. your first attempt and you may go back to some of those behaviors, but, um, but it's okay. Like get back on track, you know, yeah. get back to your recovery group, get back to Al-Anon, you know, share with your, you know, support group, how, how, you know, you, you struggled and failed. Um, cause it really is just the beginning. Um, but it can be, it can definitely be a shock when, um, your loved one, I don't want to get into too therapeutic of terms, but you know, mm-hmm. you had your family figured out how to function and have homeostasis, we call it in there yeah, yeah. around this addiction. Right. Yes. And now that's, removed the behaviors of it, at least the drinking, the constant worry of it are removed. And you're figuring out again, how to be a family unit unit and have homeostasis and what that looks like and how everyone, you know, works appropriately together. Um, and yeah, cause you got used to living in the chaos, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely a big shock when they come out and, and your loved ones have some different, you know, priorities, you know, they have to spend a little bit more time at an AA recovery group and not necessarily on the couch with you. And how do you work through that conflict? How do you communicate about that? How do you, um, you know, trust what it is that you're feeling and 
you know, share those feelings with your loved one again. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would say in every way, it's probably pretty shocking when, yes. when a family comes out. So having, starting on day one, having a recovery support group is vital for you so that you have built that trust, that community um, as a family member so that you're prepared when your loved one comes back out and you know where to go to get your support because your loved one's going to know where to go for theirs. Mm -hmm. They are going to have their sponsor. They're going to have AA groups. They're going to have their alumni at MAR um, or hopefully the treatment facility that they are at. So you having yours is important as well. That's huge because also I, it's like you need to – so much of those needs are probably – we're trying to meet those needs within the family unit. Mm, yes. And so yes. like you're, you're asking the person – who's in recovery from their own thing to support you in a way that's not necessarily yes. helpful for their recovery. And yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it like that because that's exactly it. You can't just turn back in and just on your family system to know, okay, we're all going to know how to support each other in this. Yeah. How could you know that? Yes. <laughs> you haven't done this yet right. or, you know, or, or you're the ways you were helping and loving before you can't go right back to those, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Being able to know you can look outward mm -hmm. to get the support to then come back into your family system is right. so empowering and so healthy yeah. and so good. We were meant to be community. We were created for that, you know? Absolutely. So that's, um, yeah, that's such a good way to, to put that, not just to fold back in on just the family for support, like, no, use these tools, yeah. you know? So, yeah. um, and then when's the group and what time is there a cost? Yes. So the group is on Wednesday nights at, um, the Mar admin building, um, here on our campus. Um, it's from six 30 to seven 30. There is a cost. It's it, because it is a therapeutic group. Um, there is a cost of $25 per session per person, um, to come and be a part of that. And yeah, 6.30, 7.30. We do have limited spaces in person, um, but we are currently offering it both in person and the hybrid model, um, like on Zoom and stuff like that, because we just need, it's just necessary uh, in this time and age. Um, so yeah, we are offering both. We do have limited in person. So I do ask that you RSVP, you know, offering this support group to one of the best, one of the most empowering things for me as a therapist. And one of the things that I see, um, as a goal in treatment is there will come a day where like my clients don't need me maybe as like a check-in, you know, maybe they just want to touch base every once in a while, but when they realize that they don't, they don't need me every day. And I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about group as well. And finding that support is yes, I'm there to help facilitate and to get it started in a place where you can trust and, and build that. But my hope would be that these families connect with one another and mm -hmm. they go out and have coffee afterwards. They go, you know, and they're, they, they end up being, you know, in recovery together for, for a long period of time. You know, um, you know, we have family programs every so often here. And one of the most amazing things I've heard is, you know, there was a group who came to a family program and all those families got each other's contacts. And then they, um, when, when COVID happened, they all started their own like little group support, you know, mm -hmm. once a week to just meet on zoom and, you know, make sure that they, we're just catching up and checking in on each other and, you know, that that was fostered so, um, so just naturally yeah. because they came together for three days, right. you know, um, is really, really exciting as a therapist to get to see, you know, that happen. So um, being in a position where I get to 
you know, facilitate that and just bring together people with similar experiences to find each other is like so encouraging and empowering and just makes my job amazing to that they can find that support with one another. That's so cool to see that community building happening right in front of you. Yeah. Therapy allows that, you know, where it may be the stigma of like, I'm the only person I I want you to see you're not. Yes. You know, you are not alone in this. um, And there are a lot of people willing to support you. um, And I'm thrilled to get to provide something like that. That's awesome. Caitlin, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. This was so fun. (laughs) We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. For more information on Caitlin's group, or if you're interested in participating in it, you can reach out to her directly at 678-805-5145. Or you can also email her at caitlin.burn at marinc.org. That's K-A-I-T-L-I-N dot B-Y-R-N-E at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. And as always, if you're looking for help for yourself or a loved one, please don't hesitate. You can reach our assessment counseling team through the chat feature on our website, or you can call us at 678-805-5131. They're happy to talk with you. It's completely free and it's completely confidential. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Matt Shedd, and we're already looking forward to having you again next time.